Jewish audio on Chabad.org. So station identification. We're, we're talking about the 12-step program towards a better life. That's how we identified the yud based Psukim, the 12 passages. And the Rebbe taught us that these 12 passages should be memorized by small children. And the understanding is that they must comprise some, something very fundamental, something very basic. And actually, none of the passages have presented themselves easily yet. They each, they each seem very challenging. We struggled with Torah Tziva, but we ultimately came to the understanding that this is all about relevancy. That's the most important thing you could tell somebody is that, yes, this is relevant. Shema Yisrael, the basic principles of Jewish faith. So first of all, all of the Torah is relevant to me. The second thing is Shema Yisrael, the essence of Jewish faith, which is not about the heavens, but rather about what goes on here on earth. And last week we talked about the idea of Bechol Dar Vador, the idea of going out of Mitzrayim, as being a dynamic, an ongoing, continuous thing. And we just explained how this is really what Yiddishkeit, our journey, our Jewish journey is all about, about being able to transcend limitations and being able to go from level to level. So what's the next step? The next step in our, in our journey is about a slice of heaven. Everybody's got one. Everybody's got a slice of heaven. But here's the first problem. The first problem is, why are we talking about reward? Why are we talking about a slice of heaven when the Mishnah tells us, right in the beginning of Pirkei Avot, that Antigonus taught, Don't be like one of those servants who's looking for a payback, who seeks remuneration. Elo, rather, instead, be like one of the servants serves the master, not to receive a reward. And the Mepharshim explained that this is called avoda me'ahava. This means you serve Hashem out of love. And it's noteworthy that the very first Jew who is lauded and praised and has a place, a very important place within the framework of our eternity is Avraham Avinu. And his Aveda his efforts were characterized as Aveda Me'ahava. So the Jewish journey began with love. This wasn't something that came along many generations later. After people served Hashem for paybacks and all kinds of other reasons, out of awe or fear or trepidation or concern about punishment. No, no, no. The Jewish journey began with love. And Antigonus is just trying to bring back that which always was. And he's trying to explain that real Aveda Hashem should be characterized by Ahava. Serving Hashem because you love Him, not because you get a payback. So how is it that the fourth principle is all about the idea of a slice of heaven? The idea of a reward. This is a Mishnah. It's a Mishnah which is found in the Sechet Sanhedrin, which talks primarily about criminal codes. It's a Mishnah that talks about the Jewish judiciary. <coughs> in the Mishnah, the beginning of the, the 11th chapter, the Mishnah says, Kol Yisrael yesh lahem haba. All of Israel have a portion in the world to come. So we're going to translate that freely now as a slice of heaven. How do you know? Shanemar, because there's a pasuk that was uttered by Yeshayo, it's found in the 60th chapter, it says, kulum sadikim. Your nation, all of them, are righteous. La'ilam yishu aretz, they will eternally inherit the land. Neitzam atoy, they are my planting, my sapling, that which God delights in. Just like a gardener delights in his garden, God delights in every one of us. So the first like, seeming incongruity here is, why would we talk about 
reward as a basic principle. Maimonides says that we should reward children just to get them going. And hopefully, he says, after they serve God for the wrong reasons, they'll eventually serve God for the right reasons. It means, it means when they have something that they're trying to get and they get used to, as a result, they become accustomed to serving Hashem, so then the ultimate goal, they should serve Hashem with emet, serve Hashem with truth. Well, this, this is the beginning of our journey. First thing we found out is it's relevant. We established the principles of our faith. The next thing we said is every one of us does not have to be brought down by his bodily reality, but can transcend that. So the next step is to talk about reward. Is that because this is just the beginning of the journey? Is that, is that, is that the pshat? Now let's talk about this Mishnah itself. What, what is the purpose of the Mishnah? It must be a very important Mishnah, right? It must be a very famous Mishnah, very important Mishnah. Well, not really. Because as I mentioned, Mesechet Sanhedrin talks about criminal law. It talks about justice being meted out. So the Gemara, this is, this is like you know, the, 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 the 11th chapter, and that's called Perek Chelek. It's called Perek Chelek because the Mishnah begins the words, Kol Yisrael, Yeshlahem Chelek. The Perek is called peace, a peace, because everybody gets a piece of heaven. But actually, if you take a look in the Gemara, so in the, in the earlier chapters, what the Gemara talks about is people who are convicted criminals. The worst kind of convicted criminals. So bad is their crime that they have to be put to death. And the Gemara deals with the details. The Mishnah talks about four different kinds of capital punishments. And then the Mishnah is going to tell us about people who have no portion in the world to come. But before it tells us about people who have no portion in the world to come, the Mishnah comes along and says, you should know that even though these people were put to death, even though they were convicted criminals, nonetheless, they still have a portion of heaven. So this is, um, it's not exactly a savory Mishnah. This is not exactly one of those front, right, central, important, basic principles of Judaism that everybody, a Mishnah comes along and tells us everybody's got a portion of the world to come. The Mishnah is talking about criminals, the worst kinds of criminals. The Mishnah is telling us that even if a person commits a terrible crime, nonetheless, after he's going to be put to death for his crimes, as long as he does tshuva, so the Maharsha explains, misosom mechaperes chetam, the death, the pain of death, is what atones for their sin. And therefore, since they've been punished and they've suffered the consequences, not very inspiring. Where's the Pasuk from? Where's the verse from? <coughs> so the verse is from Yeshayahu Hanavi. What inspired Yeshayahu Hanavi to speak about the Jewish people and to say that they're all righteous? So this verse follows other verses. And the first verses were not so positive. In fact, Yeshayahu Hanavi spoke out in a very negative way. And because he spoke badly about the Jewish people, Hashem was very angry with, Yermiyo, with Yishayo and Avi, as it says in the sixth chapter of Yishayo. And the Medrash Tanchuma tells us that when Yishayo was Mekatrega Yisrael, when he brought up all of Israel's sins, and he spoke badly about the Jewish people, then Hashmiyat, he was immediately struck and punished. It says, Malachim, Bo Malachim, angels came, Vehikvuleh they struck him on his mouth. So what, what's with you? How do you say words like that? How do you speak about Hashem's children like that? 
So now Yeshua is trying to rectify what he said. Okay, he's trying to dig himself out. So the subsequent prophecy of Yeshua is this pasuk of the Amech Kulam Tzadikim, the Jewish people are all righteous, and the expression goes, Hashem was happy. So to recap, number one, this is talking about reward. Reward shouldn't be a basic principle. I mean, it's, it's principle in education, but it's not a basic principle in our Jewish growth. In fact, it's not really a true principle. We shouldn't serve God. Ideally, we should not serve God for reward. Problem one. Problem two, the Mishnah is not an inspiring Mishnah. It's talking about very bad people, very bad circumstances. And it's telling us that despite all these bad things, like the Marsha says, if at least they did tshuva, oh, Hashem will still forgive them. This is not the beginning of a journey. That's the end of the journey. That's people who really blew it. They ruined their lives. But they did tshuva in the last moment. And they were in fact put to death for their sins. Okay, so they still have a portion in the world to come. And the origin of the Pasuk is not particularly inspiring either. It's a Pasuk, it's a verse, in which Yeshayahu is trying to scramble after having spoken out against the Jewish people. And I will only say that when the prophets spoke in a disparaging manner about the Jewish people, you could bet your bottom dollar we earned it. We were not kind to our prophets. We were not particularly good to our prophets. We beat our prophets, we jailed our prophets, we even killed our prophets. I say that with great shame. No pride in it. Zechariah Novi was beaten to death. So, you have a Novi who's sent on a mission and he's rejected and he's scoffed and his words are not accepted. So he lashed out. Now, he's not the only one who did this. Eliyahu Novi also did this. Even Moshe Rabbeinu expresses extreme grief and frustration. So it's really, it's like, it's a posok, it's, it's, it's prophetic, it's the word of Hashem, but it doesn't come to us in an inspiring way, it's, 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 it's the makeup, it's like, because things weren't so good, so you show Navi. So how does that form the corpus? Like we're talking about, you know, the Torah is massive, it's massive, it's like, you're talking about the oceanic bodies, and you chose this little verse, and that became step four, that became the essence. So in fairness, in fairness, the, the Rebbe is not the first one to make a big deal out of this Mishnah and to give it top billing. It's a very old idea. It's, it's in fact, there's an, an, an ancient custom that goes back millennia that during the weeks that follow the holiday of Pesach, as we prepare for Shavuot, Pesach is when we leave Mitzrayim. We leave Mitzrayim, we begin immediately counting down. The festival of Shavuot is not connected with a particular day of the month, but rather with 49 days of countdown from leaving the land of Mitzrayim and Golos. So we study a Mishnah, a chapter of Mishnayis every Shabbos. A Mesechet is called Avot, or Pirkei Avot, freely translated as Ethics of the Fathers. And why it's called that name is a subject for another class. But the custom is, in many communities, that we keep reciting Pirkei Avot all summer long. And the universal custom is before we begin to recite a chapter of Pirkei Avot, we first recite, Kol Yisrael Yesh Lahem Hab. So this is a pretty prominent Mishnah. And most people don't necessarily know all of the Mishnayot. They cannot repeat, Elu Nechenokin. These are the ones who are strangled. 
Niskolin. These are the ones who are stoned. They can't repeat those Mishnayas. They don't know them by heart necessarily. But everybody knows this Mishnah that heralds a new chapter and begins Pei Rechelik because most Jews who are observant who come to Shul, if you come to Shul between Mincha, Mincha and before Sudash Lishit, on the summer you're saying, Kol Yisrael Yeshlem Chelik Lelum Haba. And Mesechet Avot is one of those well-studied tractates of Mishnah. It's very popular. So, so that's why people know this Mishnah. So probably the answer to our question of how the Rebbe gave this Mishnah such top billing will be, will be best served if we take a look and see at why, why do we say the Mishnah before Pirkei Avot? Why does that introduce the Mishnah? What does the idea of Kol Yisrael Yesh Lehem Chelik Lehelum Haba have to do with ethics, Mili Dichasidusa, measures of piety, which means to go beyond the letter of the law, love of Torah? What does that have to do with Kol Yisrael? What, what, what difference does it make if all the Jewish people have a slice of heaven or not? And anyway, what does this mean? What does this mean? What does it mean that every Jew has a slice of heaven? If, if every Jew has reward before he starts doing anything? Kol Yisrael Yesh Lehem Chelik. How could you be so sure? How do you know everybody did a mitzvah? So he's saying, no, no, no. It's, it's Shanemar because it says, tzadikim. The nation is all righteous. The nation is all righteous sounds like something in, inherent. Well, if it's natural, if it's organic, if you didn't work for it, why is it, why is it called reward anyway? What does, mean, what does it mean everybody has a slice of heaven? You have to earn your slice of heaven. And Pirkei Avot is, is precisely that. Pirkei Avot speaks about going above and beyond the call. I want to also note, before we go on to talk about the, the Pirkei Avot, I want, to, I want to note, and I apologize for the lack of order here, but this, this Mishnah does show up in, in the context of Halacha, in the Rambam, in the book, in the first book, a book of Mada, in Hilchas Tshuva, in chapter 3, Halacha 5, and the Rambam is talking in that Halacha about people who are criminals. That's what he's talking about. And the Rambam talks about people who are Rishoyim. He says, Kol HaRishoyim, all the wicked people. Shavenisayim Merubim. They have many, many sins, multitude of sins. Most of what they do is sinful. Donin Oisun Kavichet Ehem. They have to be judged, and they will be judged. But for Yeshlehem Chelik Lelum Haba. So the Rambam quotes this Mishnah when he's talking about who? The Shayim. Say what the Shayim. He says the wicked people who are so wicked that they're going to be destroyed by the catastrophic, devastating effects of their sin, they still have a peace in the world to come. And the source is, is this Mishnah. So the Rambam is quoting this Mishnah tucked away in the folds of where he's talking about what happens to evil people, to bad people. So why does Pirkei Avot, which is a collection of Mishnayot that not only inspire us to do what's necessary, to do what's mandatory. Pirkei Avot is supposed to light our candle. It's supposed to engage us. It's supposed to lift us and elevate us. It's supposed to make us want to go beyond the call of duty. It's a, it's a mesechet full of encouragement. It's a mesechet that's full of inspiration. So why would you begin a mesechet that's trying to inspire people to go above and beyond by telling them, eh, it doesn't really matter. Because anyway. you have a portion. You have a portion anyway. That's not exactly what we would call inspiration. It, do, it doesn't even fit with Pirkei Avot. Pirkei Avot is encouraging us to reach above and beyond and this mission is telling us even those who are far beneath still have a chilek lilum haba. Are all chileks equal? It's a good question. 
<coughs> it's a good question you ask about all chelik's being equal, and the answer obviously would be no. But nonetheless, the question that, that remains for us is, that's not, it would seem, where you want to begin your discussion from. If you want to tell people about going beyond the call of duty, seemingly it's not by talking about wicked people who are still going to have a portion of the world to come, despite the fact that they're lacking. Okay, so listen to what the Mahzav Viti says. Rabbi Simcha Viti was a Talmud of Rashi. And he wrote a, a Mahzav. Mahzav literally means like, like, a, like, a, like an order. We call it the, the high holiday prayer. It's called the Mahzav. So the Mahzav Vitri basically was a, a holiday prayer book, around the year prayer book. And what he did is he wrote halachot along with the various things we do. So the Mahzav Vitri, he says that before we recite Pirkei Avot, we should say this passage. We should recite this passage. Why? So he says, We're trying to draw in the people who are ignorant, unlettered, Jewish people who are lacking sophistication. Why do we want to draw them in? He says, So that they shouldn't despair of return, spiritual rehabilitation, which is tshuva. They shouldn't despair of redemption, of geula. Loimar to say to them, What hope do they have? They're, they're people who have done so many inappropriate things. And they really have so little understanding of what Hashem expects of them. And so little appreciation of teachings of Judaism. So they have Avedis Shabiyadam. And they don't understand anything. So we want to say, come, come on this journey with us. You belong here too. Call Yisrael Yeshlahem Every single Jew has a portion in the world to come. And in doing so, we're trying to inspire, we're trying to goad, we're trying to draw the Am Ha'aretz, the unlettered, spiritual, unsophisticate, into Avedis Hashem. This sentiment of, of the Mahzir Vitri is expressed by later Rishonim as well. The Medrash Shmuel says, if a person will start to read Pirkei Avot, and he sees it's filled with ethical calling. Musarim koi harbe. So he says, you mean, you mean the basic checklist, like just putting on tefillin and like trying to keep Shabbat and kosher and having a mezuzah? You mean that's not good enough? You mean I have to do all these other things? You mean I have to serve Hashem with love? You mean I have to not look for payback? And all the other things that we talk about in the beginning of Pirkei Avot? He says, He says, if that's the entrance price, I'm never getting there. There's no way he's going to be able to do all this. And truth be told, very few people will be able to live perfectly by the credo of Pirkei Avot. Hardly anybody will be able to fulfill it all. So if I can't fulfill it all, why bother starting? Says the Medrash Shmuel, we come along and tell a person, even if you won't fulfill all of the ethical piety that's discussed in Pirkei Avot, that person nonetheless has a portion in the world to come. And therefore, see what you can do. Do your best. So what's the Medrash Shmuel saying? A person comes along and says, I'm not going to get there. So if I'm not going to get there, I'm not getting in. If I'm not getting in, I may as well give up all of my head. Says the Mishmuel, you are getting in. You're born with an entrance ticket. Now see how you can expand your peace, as you correctly said. You got a peace? Build it. Develop it. The Baal Mikveh Yisrael says 
There's another issue over here. He says, a Jew starts to read this. He says, I don't understand. I want to be a good Jew. I want to be a good person. It's so hard to be a good Jew. It's so relatively easy to be a good Gentile. What does God want from us? So many mitzvahs I'm supposed to fulfill. I didn't even sign up for this. Nobody ever asked me. I didn't get to choose if my mother's Jewish. I'm Jewish. You come along and you give me 613 mitzvahs, whereas my Gentile neighbor is fine and righteous, and, and he, has a, he has a portion of the world to come even. He can get into Gan Eden. And, and he's like, that, that person, there's so little he has to do. He's got seven mitzvahs. Okay, the seven is a little bit broader. But it's seven mitzvahs. And then, after all the 613 mitzvahs, I get whacked now with another mitzvah. Now I said, besides the 59 tractates to talk about doing all of the 613 mitzvahs, oh, incidentally, I forgot to tell you, there's another whole tractate about going beyond the letter of the law. So at this point, the Yid says, Gewalt. This is not fair. Why are we being picked on? You know that famous comedian who says, Chosen? Maybe choose somebody else for a change. Joseph is suffering, Joseph is suffering, Joseph is enough already. A person might say this. So the Mikveh Yisrael quotes a very famous Medrash, which Rashi actually quotes also. And the Medrash is found in the Pasuk, in Chumash Vayikra, that says, This is the animal you should eat. And we know that Moshe Rabbeinu actually held the animals. He held each other. This is the animal. This is the kosher animal. This is the not kosher animal. He actually held specimens. So the Medrash says that a person might experience frustration with this dietary restrictions that we have as Jewish people. And from the Gentiles, it's not expected. And it can be chassidei umasayilim, it can be a righteous Gentile. Eat whatever he wants. So the Medrash says that this could be understood by means of the same doctor who comes to visit two different people. Both of them are very sick. To one, the doctor gave strict orders. Don't eat this, don't eat this, don't eat that, only eat this. To the other one, the doctor said, eat whatever you want. Enjoy life. The first patient said, why are you abusing me? Why are you picking on me? This, my friend here can eat whatever he wants, and you gave me a strict diet? <laughs> the medrash says, of course. He says, this patient ain't going to make it. He's not going to make it, so let him enjoy life. Why should I torture him? He says, you have a chance to live. Because you have a chance to live, that's why I have all these restrictions. Says the Medrash, we speak here about Chaye Olam Haba. We're speaking here about eternity, which is the Arizal taught us, follows the Shita of the Ramban, Nachmanides, not the Rambam, that this is not heaven, but rather this is the reality of the resurrection. And that's eternal life. And when it comes to eternal life, when it comes to resuscitating all those who have lived once, this is a uniquely Jewish experience. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu is saying to us, Kol Yisrael yesh lahem haba. He says, you know why you're learning this Mishnah now of Pirkei Ovis? And you just finished learning 613 mitzvahs? And you're frustrated and you say it doesn't make sense, it's not fair. How come it's so easy for everybody else and so difficult for us? Because you have Chayyelam Haba. Because you have eternity. And because you could live for eternity, that's why you have to be careful. It's not easy to cultivate, to nurture, to develop, to be able to experience that eternity. Something doesn't make sense to me. Right here, they're talking about the various forms of capital punishment. Yeah. Okay, and then I'll just jump forward to what you just said now. Yeah. To the resurrection. Right. 
of everybody who has lived. That's right. So in other words, their punishment is nullified. So what's the purpose of the punishment in the first place? Okay, I mean, I'm just going to reframe your question and try to answer it quickly. You're, you're asking, why should the person who was put to death by the court merit resurrection? Doesn't that undo the punishment? So, so the answer is that when he's put to death, because he's a convicted murderer, for example, it's temporary. All of death is temporary. In the end, those who will repose, who repose in the dust will one day rise and sing again. We look at all of death as temporary. That's why we tear our garments, not, our, not gash our skin. Because the loss of a loved one means only the temporary, external, the bodily reality. The neshama, the soul lives forever. So what are you telling me? You're saying, you killed the body, but you didn't kill the soul? Of course, you can't kill a soul. No person can kill a soul. The only person who can kill a soul is a person himself can destroy his own soul. That's a possible thing. There is but the person himself can't destroy his own soul. In fact, what saves his soul is having this punishment carried out. <coughs> I thought you were going to ask that. We're talking here about meriting Elam Haba, and here it's for free. So, I left that Okay, so that we're going to come back to. That we're going to come back to. The Balkanesses you saw follows a similar approach of the Mikveh Yisrael. And he says, what's the most important thing for a patient's recovery? the most important thing above anything else optimism I don't know if modern medicine embraced this decades or centuries ago today we certainly talk about it the patient first and foremost he says needs encouragement he has to have confidence that he can recover he has to have trust and faith that he will recover a person who gives up hope on life will die of illness very quickly. And I've seen this. I've seen this time and again. People who are diagnosed give up and they're dead two months later. And people who have faith and people who have confidence and people who don't give up, they live for years. I was once called to uh, the hospital bed. There's an older woman, an older Holocaust survivor. She was maybe almost 90. And the family called me urgently. She's going into emergency surgery. So I rushed to the hospital. And I met the family right outside the operating theater. Right outside. And she was ready and prepared. And as I was trying to encourage her a little, the doctor came over and he read her the riot act. He told her that 80% of people do not make it to the surgery. So she looks at me and she says, What's he saying? So I said to her in Yiddish, He said, you will be healthy. So the doctor who I found that at that point was Jewish. He said, that's not what I said. <laughs> he said, I speak Yiddish too. That's not what I said. I told her 80% of people don't recover and I need to have her agreement to go into the surgery. She looks at me. She says, I don't trust him. I only trust you. Tell me the truth. What did he say? I said, She says, are you telling me, you're telling me I'm going to be healthy? I said, yeah. She says, okay, I trust you. She came out of the surgery. She lived a number of years after. I very much doubt if I had not been there at that moment after hearing this wonderful news that 80% of the people die on the operating table, I very much doubt that she would have survived the surgery. Now, why it was necessary to tell her, I still don't understand. Maybe to prevent the lawsuit. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, this is just a diversion. Going back to the point, 
the Knesset Yisrael says, Refuas HaNefesh is Ke'in Refuas HaGuf. That the healing of the soul is similar to healing of the body. And he says that the whole Pirkei Avot is about healing oneself spiritually. It's about, it's about holistic healing. Spiritual holistic healing. And he says the most important thing that's, that's required, the requisite for this holistic healing to take place is to give the patient, the client, confidence that it's going to work. And what's that confidence? Kol Yisrael yesh lahem haba. Okay, so obviously this Mishnah, although it seems sandwiched between a bunch of death, death sentences, and there's even a dispute amongst the sages about the, the next chapter, which talks about more death penalties. Some have even placed those death penalties earlier, so this can be the follow-up. But that this Mishnah is actually talking to us on a very broad level. That it gives us a sense of optimism. That it gives us a sense of faith. A sense of trust. We can do this. It's not impossible. In fact, you already have a piece of heaven before you start it. The Rebbe. Oh, well, good, good. Very good. Okay. Very good. Very good. Very good. A moment. The Rebbe. Uh, before we go on to something from the Rebbe, I'll share with you finally something from something interesting that I saw in the Imri Haskell. So he says this idea that the Rishonim and the Achronim talk about is actually it's textbook. It's textbook. It's biblical. Where do we find it in the Chumash itself? There's a there's a there's a quote. In Rashi, in the beginning of Parshas Va'atam Nitzavim, but it's a quote from the Medrash. The Medrash Agada says, Lama Nismacha, Parshas Atam Nitzavim Hayom, why is the Parsha of you are standing firm today? Why is it close to the Klolis? Parsha Kitavo is filled with curses, the threats and rebuke that the Jewish people get, and Atam Nitzavim comes right afterwards. And the Chazal say, Shamu Yisrael, Mea Klolis, Chosashtayim, they heard, a hundred curses, minus two, but they heard a hundred. It's 98. But it's like, like a, and this is in addition to the 49 they already heard already in Leviticus. So it says, they turn green. Just like when a person is not feeling well, it's going to bring up. <laughs> they turn green. And they said, Did you hear what he just said? Did you hear what God told him? All these curses, threats, and rebukes. We can't do this. At that moment, when they started to give up, they said, this Judaism thing, it sounds great, maybe in the heavens. It's not for us. There's no way we're going to be able to make this happen. Yishchel Moshe Lefaisa. Moshe Rabbeinu immediately begins to mollify them. He starts to comfort them. And he says to them, what are you talking about? Atem, Nitzavim, Hayoim, what are you saying? You can't do this. Here you are, standing tall and firm, he says, Har You have angered God greatly over the last 40 years. You have rebelled against God time and again. We did a lot of bad things in the desert. And, You're not destroyed. 98 curses, 49 curses. You're still standing. So, Meish Rabbeinu says, And if so, and if so, don't be so worried. Says the Imre Haskell, this is the same idea. Come to this, this uh, Mishnayis, which are full of Musa and Midas, it's ethics, and it's also some harsh rebuke, and there's also deep things, and a person could start to read Perkei Avot, and he says, I was struggling with this orthodox checklist, 
these 248 things I was supposed to be doing. And then I found out 365 things I'm not supposed to be doing. And then you start telling me, Perky, others too? He says, Yeriku Paneno will turn green. He's not going to be able to handle this. Relax. Don't take it too seriously. Don't worry about it. With all the expectation, yes, you can. You can do this. Every year has a portion, Loyalam Haba. Every year is a portion in the world to come. The way that Rebbe once explained this, he said, when it comes to Pirkei Avot especially, since it's called Mili de Chasiduta, Mili de Chasiduta means measures of Chasidus, Chasidus is piety, usually translated as beyond the call of duty. It's like patriotism. There's a law-abiding citizen and there's a patriot. A patriot doesn't just do what's necessary. The patriot does things that are above and beyond the call of duty. And the last time, maybe in this country, we were feeling patriotic was probably during World War II, when people were collecting metal, scrap metal, and donating it for the war effort. At least that's what I've heard. And everybody was asking, what could they do? How could they be involved? They didn't say, what could I get away with? Now, when it comes to paying taxes, you call your accountant, you say, what could I get away with? That's the accountant's job. <laughs> it's a joke. So they, they ask an elementary school teacher, what's five plus five? The school just said ten. What kind of question is that? And they ask a high school teacher, he says, well, is that squared? And they ask an accountant, and he closed the window shade, turned the lights off, he said, how much do you want it to be? <laughs> there's, there's, there's the law. There's the law. And we're required to be law-abiding. Law-abiding doesn't mean law-embracing. It means if you want to be law-abiding, you can push the limits of the law and still be law-abiding. You're not a criminal. You didn't break the law. And Pirkeiavos is going beyond the call of duty. So the average person will say, you know, I don't even think I'm... I don't even know if I'm keeping the law. I don't even know if... I'm certainly not going... Uh, doing a fantastic job. I'm not going beyond... So Pirkei Avot, this, this, this Mesechet, that's not for me. That's for some holy rollers, fancy Jews. I'm just a plain, simple Jew. Whatever comes along and says, wrong. Big mistake. How do we begin the whole Pirkei Avot? Call Yisrael. Call Yisrael. Every single year there's a Shaykhaz. Every year is connected. <coughs> Each and every single one can and therefore should fulfill Mili Davot. I think what we can take from the teachings about the fact that we begin Pirkei Avot with this, is that the Mishnah of Kol Yisrael is telling us something about what we are able to do. So simply stated, with regard to the 12 Sukkim, a person may come along and ask himself, is this Judaism business? Is it really something? Is it, is it for me? And we come along and the first thing you tell a Jew is, it's relevant. It's yours. Says, wow, it's really nice. It's all mine. He said, well, what do we believe in anyway? So, what do we believe in? Am I going to heaven? He said, no, it's not about heaven. This is Hashem Echad. It's how you live your life here. We're actualizing God's presence. But I'm stuck in a bodily reality. Oh, don't worry. You say Hashem, Hashem, Hashem Echad. If you want, you can transcend that reality. You can go above and beyond. You can leave the Meitzarim. You can leave the narrow straits. You can leave the compressing <coughs> paradigm that disables, that dysfunctions, that obfuscates. Very nice. And so, 
a yid comes along and says, yeah, but, but do you know who I am? <laughs> I did a, I've done a couple of sins. Maybe more than a couple of sins. Maybe a couple squared. And, and, and I've been like starting to review this Judaism business since you told me it's relevant and you told me that it's right here and you told me I can get past. And I don't, I don't really think I can do this. In fact, I, 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 don't, I don't think that this is something that I'm capable of actually fulfilling in, in my own life. I'm not going to make it. So what's the next step? What's the next message? You made it before you started. Call Yisrael Yesh Lahem Chelek Leilam Haba. Every single one has a portion in the world to come. What does this mean? So first of all, as the Bartanura explains it, as most of the Rishonim tell us, we're not talking about Gan Eden. Not everybody gets a portion of Gan Eden. Gan Eden you have to earn. Gan Eden you have to create. And you create the Gan Eden with your efforts that you make here. Ale Adam is during a terrestrial lifetime. The Torah you study, that is your Gan Eden. Just to illustrate this point with a silly metaphor, but, it's, but it still makes the point. They tell the story of a house builder who wanted to retire. He was tired. He had enough. And the, the owners of the company came and said, one last house. And he said, no, 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 that's it. That's it. Throwing the towel. One last house. And they pressured him and he agreed to do one last house. But his heart wasn't in it. He didn't really care about it. He didn't have a reputation to protect anymore. And he did all kinds of shoddy work. And he left all kinds of things out. But he was just wanted to get the job done. He just couldn't wait to start fishing and playing golf all day. And when he finished building the house, the company came and they said, here's the keys to your new house. This is Gan Eden. Gan Eden is the result of our efforts. We build our own Gan Eden. We create our own Gan Eden. You want to know what Gan Eden is going to look like? It's going to look like the mitzvahs you performed here. It's going to look like the Torah you studied here. It's going to look like the prayer you engaged here. That's Gan Eden. You can't say every neshama merits Gan Eden. There are people who don't, unfortunately, have Gan Eden. So what is the difference between Gan Eden? Ah, Olam Haba, the difference in Gan Eden and Olam Haba. Gan Eden is the world of souls. When the body is cast aside, the neshama goes into a soul reality, and the soul reality is now in Gan Eden. Most decent people go to Gan Eden. They don't get there right away, like the Teisvah says. They may have some difficulty getting there. They may have 11 months of challenge till they settle in. That's why we say Kaddish. A pretty wicked person may take 12 months. That's why you would say 12 months Kaddish, which we're very careful not to do because we assume our beloved ones are not wicked. You settle in. Settle in to Ganeid. But not everybody gets there. When it comes, however, to Olam Haba, Olam Haba is called Olam Hatchia. That's the reality of eternity. That's the reality of when Neshama comes back to the body. It's a basic principle of Jewish faith. It leaves Gan Eden, that's correct. It leaves Gan Eden. Because to be able to come back and inhabit a body is even greater than to be in Gan Eden. It's not going to be the body as you Wait and I know today. Wait a Let's put it in order then. Yeah. Gan Eden is for the... Uh, I'll use the word loosely for the tzaddikim. Loosely. Use it loosely. Gan Eden is for, is for, for most, most Jewish people who are decent... Try to do mitzvahs, learn Torah, yeah, they go to Gan Eden. Okay. The hierarchy. Yeah. Uh, whereas, Haolam Abba is for all. That's correct. Gan Eden is a subset. 
Ganeden is 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 like a way station. <laughs> That's where the neshamas move until Mashiach comes. It's only it's available to most actually, but 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 okay, there are it's not, there, to, it's all. not it's to all. Reverse. Correct. Okay. Correct. To all. Correct. Well, well, we'll do the mathematics that way. It's not to all. Right. Uh, whereas Olam Haba is to all. Right. Okay. By that theory, or by that concept, I shouldn't use the word theory. By that concept, where are the rest? Where are the rest? You, you're making the assumption that it takes up space. It has to go on a shelf or put it in a box. From, from a million people... You're talking about Ami Amut point. One doesn't make it to, let's say, just one doesn't yeah. make it to Gan Eden. Yeah. Okay. But all million make it to Ahola. Right. Where does that one go? Where, where does the one go when he's not in Gan Eden? <coughs> If I, tell you, if, I tell you the, the, when if I tell you the neshama is suspended in oblivion, would that make you feel better? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just, That's I, kind I'm of... Understand this because of you, you're, you're, you're trying to take physical phenomenon and apply it to souls. It's like saying, I have a number of theories. A number of theories about how you solve a certain problem. Lately, I've been using my first two theories. The third theory I haven't used in a very long time. It says, that, did you have to put it in the closet? Is the mothball so it shouldn't get rotten? <coughs> is, it, is it in the freezer or in the fridge? It's an Arishkeit. This doesn't apply. An idea doesn't have to take up space. A popular idea or a non-popular idea. It's not, a, it's not a question of space. It's not a question of where it goes. We're talking about a different reality. Okay. Okay? To say that an idea is, is so high, so lofty, that you have to climb a ladder to grasp it, or an idea is so deep and profound you have to dig a hole to find it, is ridiculous. Neshamas do not take up physical space. Ah, excellent. Very good, Felix. Hold that thought of the neshama being a part of the Ein Sof because now we're going to start to fill, to flesh in, no pun intended, the details. So the difference of Ganeden and Olam Hatchia is because Ganeden is schar, strictly speaking, it's reward. And you have to do something to get rewarded. So it says usually that the schar of Torah, that's Gan Eden. Not everybody studies Torah. If you don't study in the Torah, you can't have any schar. But Gan Eden, it says, or Eilam Atchia, this is the reward, it says, of mitzvahs. Things done in the flesh. That's why the reward is received, so to speak, in the flesh. And when it comes to mitzvahs, a lot of Jews have no Torah, no knowledge, no study. But it says, Kol Yisrael meleim mitzvahs kerimin. Every Jew is filled with mitzvahs, like a pomegranate that's packed with seeds. So everybody's got mitzvahs. So where is the real schar then? Ganeden is like, it's, 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 it's a temporary schar. Ganeden is not the essential schar. The essential, the real schar, the real reward is Eilam Atchia, is, is the future, the resurrected, the resuscitated reality. So the Rebbe says, one second. You're telling me that not everybody gets Gan Eden because they didn't earn it. And Eilam Atchia, they did earn. The world of eternity, that, that's also, that's the real reward. How could, how could you start off rewarded? Every Jew is born, call Yisrael Yeshlam. It means he's born with a piece of Eilam Ha'aba. How could you be born with Eilam Ha'aba? You have to earn Eilam Ha'aba. You have, to, you, have to, you have to get it. You have to get reward for something. How could you get a reward of something you never did? So what's the pshat? What does it really mean? 
So let me give you like a digest of things that the Rebbe spoke about over the years. And I, I didn't have any room for books. So I did a bunch of copies, photocopies of different things, okay? And when, when, you, when you hear this, you'll start to have a true appreciation of what we discuss, what we're talking about over here. So first of all, it should be noted that when we talk about Olam Haba or Olam Hatchia, in the writings of our sages, there's not one, there's not two, but there's three different expressions. Chelek means a piece. Then it says, this is what's called a Ben Olam Haba. What does that mean? It literally translates as son of. But it doesn't mean the son of. It means in possession of. For example, a bar mitzvah. Bar is Aramaic for son. It's like really a ben mitzvah. Or a bat mitzvah. What does that mean? That the mitzvah is their father or mother? No, it means that they are in possession of, of responsibility for mitzvahs. So we have this idea, not only of what's called a, a, a piece of Gan Eden, but you have a person who is connected to Gan Eden as being a ben olam haba. Meaning he belongs to that world. He fits into that world. He is, he's connected to it. And the third expression is the idea of mizuman la'olam haba. So for example, when it says that a person is free, a free person, how do we describe a free person in the Haggadah? Or elsewhere? In, in Torah literature, how is a free person described? Chayrut is freedom. How do you say a free person? A ben chorin. Ben Chorin. Was it Ben, son of freedom? No, Ben Chorin means I'm in a situation of freedom. So people living in a totalitarian country, under a brutal regime, they are not Bnei Chorin. They're in exile, if you will. They're being controlled. Somebody made a, a very profound point to me last week. He said the United States is not a democracy. It's a republic. And so what's the difference? He said a democracy means that majority rules. And the majority gets to do whatever they want. A republic means that every individual's rights are looked after. That made a lot of sense to me. So if you live, if you're a citizen of this country, for example, citizens of Canada are by definition free. Because Canadians are free people. By spirit. We are free people. We are free. We are free to do as we please as long as we don't harm anybody. Of course, I'm not free to detonate an atomic bomb in my backyard. Okay, I understand. <laughs> Why not? It's my backyard. Not free to keep all, the, all your earnings Yes, you're not free to keep all of your earnings. You have to pay your way. Okay, that doesn't mean you're not free. People who lived in the former Soviet Union were not free. Living behind the Iron Curtain, they were not free people. This is called the free world. People who live in a totalitarian country are not free. They're not free to say whatever they want. They're not free to go wherever they want. They're not free to do whatever they want. This is a free country. We are what you would call Bnei Chorin. doesn't mean a son of freedom. It means you're in a situation of freedom. Now, you know what the word Mizuman means? You know, in, in, um, in slang, in slang, in slang, they call, you know what Mizuman is called? In, in Yiddish and also Israeli slang. They say, yeah, cash. Exactly. Pay with Mizuman means pay cash. Why? Because cash, cash and carry. Like, Okay, so if it was an African, African word, it was taken from Yiddish. African, African. Is in the blacks. The black language, 
I, ha- I, would, have to, I would have to guess they somehow got it from Hebrew. <laughs> I don't think it's Swahili. <laughs> they got it. You know, the people, the world talks about chutzpah also. It's a word in the English dictionary. Just like the Hungarians picked up chaver. Okay. Schlepper, chutzpah. Soon we talk about nachas. We have a... A, a, a description of the Gemara in Brachas, on page 61, it talks about Rabbi Akiva's last moments. Rabbi Akiva was taught teaching Torah publicly. And he had been warned, if he teach Torah publicly, he's going to get himself into very big trouble. And he was arrested by the authorities. And publicly, he was publicly murdered. They ripped his flesh off his, off his, off his bones, off his skeleton. And what was Rabbi Akiva doing? As they were brutally murdering him in public, he was saying Shema. And his Talmidim, his disciples said to him, Rebbe, really? In, in, in the midst of, as they brutally tear you to pieces, you say Shema? He said, what are you talking about? My whole life I was thinking about my whole life I'm thinking to serve Hashem, give it my all. Now I'm giving it all I got. This is all I got. This is the body I have. He says, that now, is, now is the time to say Shema. Now is my real Shema. We can't even like, imagine the level of holiness, the level of purity, the level of dedication and devotion, of selflessness, the level of spiritual sensitivity and clarity. It's, it's really beyond what we can fathom. It's not even on our radar screen. So you know how the Gemara describes Rabbi Akiva at that, point, at that time? The Gemara says, the angel said, Ashrecha Rabbi Akiva. You are already, already, seamless transfer. In other words, let's talk even about Gan Eden for a moment. To get to Gan Eden is not so simple. First of all, I don't want to go to Gan Eden because you have to die to get there, so I don't want to go there. <laughs> I hope I never get to Gan Eden. Right? Mashiach will come and that's... That's, that's, that's what my hope and prayer we will all together greet Mashiach right here okay so you have to die to get in so it's too high a price to pay but even you don't just get in for dying that's not good enough you can't just die to get in <laughs> you have to die to get online you don't just get in and there's months and there's experiences and adjustments it's, it's a whole it's a whole story you don't just slide into home base. Rabbi Akiva left this world, he was already, he was already in the highest spiritual levels. He was Mizuman Leilum Haba. He was already a perfected, everything was perfect, there was no toxicity. There was nothing extraneous or unnecessary. Mizuman Leilum Haba means that he is a perfect Eilum Haba. A perfect picture of Eilum Haba. What is Eilum Haba? What is Eilum Haba? What is this business of a Neshama coming back to life? Why doesn't a Shama have to get resuscitated? What is the point of being a Mezuman Le'ilam Haba? So I'll get back to that in a second. But I just want to go back to these three levels. So Ami, you correctly said in the outset, Chelek is a piece. How big? Good point. We all start with a Chelek. Our challenge is to become a Ben Le'ilam Haba. And ultimately, the goal, to be Mezuman Le'ilam Haba. So this is a journey. It's a journey. It's a journey of being able to obtain Purity. It's a journey of being able to obtain eternity. So the Rebbe, the Rebbe explains the concept of Elam Haba in the following fashion. He says 
that the idea of Olam Haba represents the eternity of God. How come a neshama can never die? Because it's indestructible. Can't kill a piece of God. Pieces of God don't die. Because pieces of God don't die, the neshama lives forever. What is the meaning when we say, Kol Yisrael Yeshlehem Chaylek Le'ilam Haba? What is the meaning when we say that each and every single Yid has a portion in the world to come? Why does he have a portion in the world to come by virtue of his existing? So the answer is, because Neitzah Matoy Maisiyodile Hispar, because Hashem says, this is my garden, because Hashem said, this is my sapling, this is my, my shoot that I planted, this is what I did, Hashem says, in other words, that there is a piece of my eternity within every single Yid. And therefore, the meaning of Kol Yisrael Yeshlam Chilak Leilam Haba means, it's, why is it by default that we have a portion of the greatest reward? We are by default a part of that. Because the greatest reward is eternity. And by definition, we are part of eternity. By definition, who we are is eternal. And because who we are is eternal, it's self-understood that call Yisrael, Yesh Lahem, Chelek Leilam Haba. The Rebbe in an edited Sicha once put it this way. He said, the fact that call Yisrael, Yesh Lahem, Chelek Leilam Haba is a reflection of the idea that every neshama is a chelik alikal mimal mamash. That every neshama is, ultimately, as the Alta Rebbe says in the second chapter of Tanya, a piece of God on high. Which in the parlance of Kabbalah means, we're talking about yechida. We're talking about, colloquially, the pintaliyid. The indestructible essence of the soul. So when we say everybody's got a portion of the world to come, what does it mean? Everybody's got reward for doing nothing? No, it says by dint of being a member of Am Yisrael, you are a part of this. You get, you have admission. You're part of it. How much am I part of it? How much of a part of it do I have? Well, that's in your hands now. But by virtue of the fact that you are a Benu Bas Yisrael, you're already part of this. Our eternity is already yours. Now develop it. So the idea then of Kol Yisrael Yeshle Chilik Haba, yeah, it's talking about a person who's put to death. It's a person who is a, a criminal. A criminal who is executed because of his crimes. Yes, true. That's where we hear about this. But like, we have oftentimes, the Rambam tells us, you want to know, there's certain mitzvahs that deal with the basic dignity of a human being. We always use the most extreme case. I'll give you two examples. It's a mitzvah to bury our dead. It's a mitzvah to bury the dead. As soon as possible. How do we know it's a mitzvah? Where does the Torah tell us we should bury our dead? It talks about a person who was executed for his crimes, a convicted criminal. And it says, cover sick perenu. Now I ask you, if a person who the Torah says human beings are allowed to take his life, in fact, they are mandated to take his life, the murderer, the convicted murderer has to be put to death. Nonetheless, human remains are still sacred. If he has human dignity, then every human being has dignity. The Torah used the most extreme example. You're not allowed to hit your fellow yid. You're not supposed to hit anybody. But your fellow Yid is a big Aveda. Why? How do we know this? Because the Torah talks to us about a convicted criminal. And because of his terrible acts, he gets lashes. Which sounds really terrible. Lashes sounds very bad to the Western ears. But one set of lashes is a lot more compassionate than ten years in a prison. Living like a rabbit. Which plays with your mind and your heart. And people come out very, very strange afterwards. And some of them never recover. This guy gets the beating of his life. And he'll never touch a kid again. The beating of his life. 
It doesn't, it's very hard to get a conviction. But when a conviction is obtained, he gets stripes. What's the maximum amount of stripes anybody can ever get? 39. But actually the Torah it says 40. But you're not, allowed to stri- you're not allowed to strike him even one time extra. And because we're afraid somebody would give us one time extra, we say 39. Stop it at 39. So what happens if the person in the court is delivering the stripes? He's flogging this, this fellow. Criminal, bad guy. And the guy was sentenced to 28 uh, stripes. That's what he's supposed to get. And he hits him a 29th time. He did a terrible sin. He did a terrible sin. Why? Because he struck an innocent person. What are you talking about? I hit him a moment ago and that was like mandated. I say the word mitzvah loosely. It's not a good deed. It's not a wonderful, fantastic, uh, delightful event. It's it's a thing that has to be done. It's necessary. So when I did the 20, I hit him the 28th time or the 39th time, I was doing a good thing. You hit him a 40th time? Oh, you're a sinner now. Why did you hit this poor guy? What are you talking about? I hit him a moment ago. The best was telling me, hit him. He says, yeah. Once the consequence is carried out, that's it. Now he goes free. Now he's innocent again. So if the Torah says that a convicted criminal, who you're supposed to hit, you know, let it hit him one extra time, how much more so that a person can't decide to go over and hit somebody. Getting into a fight and punching somebody's lights out is absolutely prohibited. You're not allowed to strike another, ever. You know, let it hit somebody violently. End of story. So how does the Torah tell it to us? How does the Torah tell it to us? The Torah tells it to us with the convicted criminal. In other words, the most extreme example. Sure, this is a Mishnah that talks about convicted criminals. What is the Mishnah saying? The Mishnah is saying that every single Yid has a piece of eternity in him. But he's a, he's a killer. He's a horrible guy. He's a convicted criminal. True. The Torah says he has to be punished. The Torah says he's put to death. The Torah is called Nachmana. The Torah is called the merciful one. Mercy itself says the person should be put to death. True. True. But that doesn't mean he's not part of eternity. The body has to be punished. The person has to have a consequence. But the neshama is still eternal. If that neshama is a part of eternity, then every neshama is a part of eternity. You understand the message? You understand this is what the most basic thing a person needs to hear. After he hears that he can get past the bodily reality, that he doesn't have to become trapped in the physical minutia that inhibits and obscures the neshama, the next thing he says, but you know who I am? You know how many invaders I did? I said, yeah, we do. And you still want to talk to me? You still think I can be part of this? He said, oh yeah, 100%. Why are you so sure? Why? Call Yisrael Yeshlem Chelek Lelam Haba. By virtue of the fact that you are a member of Am Yisrael, you have a piece of eternity. You have admission before you started. You're part of this. And once you're part of the Nitzchis, once you're part of the eternity of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so once you're part of that, it's automatically yours. The Rebbe once used the expression, Ish loinedar, no one left out. But even no one left out. But the same Mishnah tells us, and here's the people who don't get. So the Rebbe says, the Gemara Chagiga says, that in an extreme case, of a very bad Jew, there could be a Jew who actually takes himself out of circulation. He actually cuts himself off from his source. There could be such a thing. But then it says, not a It says somebody else took his place. It's still his place. The piece he was born with is still his, only he didn't get to hold on to it. So every one of us is born with a piece of this. Every one of us is born part of that fabric. If an neshama gets so dark and so lost, the neshama can be lost, the neshama can be totally cut off, chas v'shalom. But ultimately, 
<coughs> the peace that somebody else inherited was once his peace on a different occasion. This was in, in actually 1976 when the Rebbe was talking about the 12th Sukkot. He said, Kol Yisrael means that he has to know that because he is Neitzah Matoi Maitzi because he's God's shoot, he's God's planting and sapling, that this happens from the moment It's in the moment of birth. It's not earned. It has nothing to do with the words uttered. It's not even the first words uttered. It's connected to birth. Or, it says, Yirshu Yirshu means inheritance. That should ring a bell because in the first passage we talked about What's an inheritance? You have it by virtue of the fact that you are. Not because you earned it, because you are. So if God is eternal, and we believe that God is forever, then every nisham is forever. You are forever because you are a Yid. Uh, uh, the meaning of a Yiddish nishama is call your soul. So what's our Aveda? Ah, every Yid is born with what's called a chilek, leilam haba, meaning he's got a neshama. But he has a chilek. Avazehu chilek, it's a piece of everything. It's a chilek of kulay. Now from this chilek, we have to now, we have to develop it. From this chilek, we have to be able to take it a little further. The Rebbe said, Gan Eden, Gan Eden is the reward for what a mitzvah that a yid does now. And the reward helps you sometimes when your Yetzirah comes along and says, you don't want to sin a little. You know, it's a lot of fun. You should try it sometimes. So a person has able has a, a tactic to go back at his Yetzirah. This is fun. This is temporary fun. This, this, I don't want to lose my piece of Gan Eden. That's, that's a tool. That's a tactic. That's not the essence of the concept of, of reward. The essence of the concept of reward is being part of Hashem's eternity. And therefore... We tell, we tell the person, Neitzah Matoi, the whole Pasuk is recited. The whole Pasuk. What's the whole Pasuk? The whole Pasuk includes the words, the Amech Kulam Tzadikim, La'olam Yirshu Aretz. Aretz could refer to Ganeidin, but then it says, Neitzah Matoi Maise Yodai. Action. What's action talking about? That's talking about the goof. That's talking about the body. And the Rabbi Nishalayim, Almighty God says, that's the Maise Yod That the physical existence of a Yid is something Hashem takes pride in. Something Hashem is happy with. So when a Yid hears this, what does he have to know? He has to know that if he wills it, it will be. That every one of us can do this. By virtue of who we are. And that's why it's a basic principle. It's a basic principle because this passage is the defining hallmark of what is a Ben Ubas Yisrael. And when you discover who you are, then you can begin to imagine what you can be. Because if this is who I am before I started, just by virtue of my existence, imagine what happens if I develop that. Imagine what happens if I utilize it. Imagine if I nurture and cultivate it. The sky's the limit. That's the next step. This is the greatest statement of confidence. This is the greatest statement of inspiration. This is the most positive kind of reinforcement any of us could possibly hear. Thinking that, I? Me? 
I can never be a part of these people. I can never really break free. I can never overcome my Yetzirah. I have so much baggage. Yeah, you do. But you're still a part of it. So the neighbors to help them that we should all merit eternity. We should merit not only a chilek, we should merit to be b'nei elam haba, to be active participants in Merit Hashem, in the elam atchia, and we should be mezuman leilam haba, and as long as we will do our best, as we'll learn later on, the main thing is your gaita, that we have to keep toiling. If a yid keeps toiling, then Hashem crowns those efforts with success. Do our part, we do our part, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will grant us the geula ha-mitzvah shleima, the coming of Mashiach, which naturally segues into and leads us to Eilam Hatchia, to a world elevated, transformed, and perfected.